Welcome to How to Sell Drugs, presented by Lucy, a podcast about drug culture, policy, and business with an emphasis on harm reduction. We believe that prohibition and abstinence-only policies result in poor results for society. We'll be discussing how drugs are sold, and perhaps more importantly, how they should be sold. This is not intended to advocate drug use and meant for educational purposes only. Our primary sponsor for this podcast, as always, is us. If you or someone you know uses nicotine, we encourage you to visit lucy.co to try our range of delicious and satisfying products that we hope you'll find to be much better than cigarettes, vapes, smokeless tobacco, and other traditional tobacco products. Today, it's we're joined by Heath Evans. Hi, Heath. What's up, buddy? And Sammy Hamdouche. Hello. So let's get started, guys. So Heath has a background as a professional athlete. He's played in the NFL for, I believe, the Seahawks, Patriots, Dolphins, and Saints. Uh, spent time as a commentator on the NFL Network, and now has a business where he sells apparel and coaches up-and-coming athletes, and is a social media sensation, and you can often find him lifting very heavy weights at the Mecca in, in Gold's Gym, getting up at 4 or 5 in the morning with uh, some of his uh, friends who are also making uh, big waves in, in the fitness space. So uh, thanks so much again, Heath, for, for joining us. Is that uh, a fair representation of your journey so far? I hate bios. Every time we use it, someone's like, send me a bio. I'm like, I, I sound like an arrogant jerk writing this thing out. So uh, <laughs> but most of the time I'm like, no, just introduce me as uh, NFL has been and uh, a guy that loves to, to have a good time. So uh, I appreciate you guys having me. And uh, yeah, 10 years, Miami Dolphins was very brief. Nick Saban uh, signed me and then cut me about six weeks later. Luckily, Bill Belichick wanted me after that. So I spent four years with Bill and the Pats and then the last two with the Saints. Um, yeah, kind of, kind of, uh, I tricked him for 10 years in the NFL. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, uh, let's jump right in. So the name of this podcast is how to sell drugs. It's very tongue tongue in cheek. Uh, but the, the goal is to explore the role that drugs play in society. And so of course we're going to be spending some time talking about drugs in sports. Uh, when you and I spoke previously, uh, you had uh, a lot of interesting views on, how different drugs either uh, exist or, or do not appear to exist in certain sports leagues. So um, maybe I can ask you, uh, what is your perspective on steroid and drug use uh, in the NFL? Maybe we'll start with steroids and we'll, we'll yeah. talk about other drugs after that. Well, listen, performance is, is the name of the game. I don't care if it's um, the PGA this day and age or if it's the NFL. Everyone's trying to get an edge. Um, the funny thing about the NFL, and, and I would probably say probably the NBA and Major League Baseball is nobody talks about it. Um, Ten years, a lot of different locker rooms. Um, never once did I have a conversation about um, steroid use and someone actually using them. Of course, it came up um, when maybe mentioning a player and you, you see them hop off the bus and they look like an absolute Greek god or a freak of nature. Um, of course, there was the tongue-in-cheek, uh, he must be, or it was probably jealousy or envy that, that was hoping it was true for that, that particular player or whoever it may be, but um, it is hush-hush. I'm not naive enough to say it doesn't exist. I would say the NFL does a great job of – um, trying to persuade players from messing with um, those types of drugs. Um, they are random. If my numbers are correct, I think it's up to like 26 times a year. Um, they can literally pull you aside. I was in vacation, uh, on vacation, excuse me, in Anguilla over in the Caribbean in 2009. I received a call 
and said, uh, where are you at? Told him where I was. The NFL sent someone. So I was on a small island off of St. Martin. And somehow, some way, they send one of their NFL drug policy guys to the Viceroy Hotel, um, literally make you drop your drawers, pull your shirt off, do your 360-degree turn, and pee in a cup. Um, so it, they are they are on top of it. And I obviously wasn't in the drug program, um, but their random checks are thorough. And, and, and they, they come at you um, in all types of surprises. You can get off the bus um, after just flying back in town from a game, an away game, and they tell you that you're on the list and you have to stay there until you pee in a cup. So there's no running off to your car or running off to see some sort of doctor. So if you are beating the system in the NFL, I would say this, you're spending a whole heck of a lot of money on some amazing chemist to, to get over on them. So um, do people? I'm sure. Do I know them? No. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll see. But it, listen, it, it's sport. And there's always going to be someone trying to get an edge. I can promise you that. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. That, uh, well, it sounds like in, uh, in another life, maybe it would be a good uh, gig to be an NFL drug ex- inspector. I would just look on Instagram and Twitter and see which players had the most extravagant <laughs> vacations. And then I'd say, we got to pop them now. Yeah. Who's over in Italy? You know what I mean? Who's on, who's on a beach in uh, Turks and Caicos somewhere? You the know? NFL's got to send me out there, put me up at least for a night. Yeah, but then you got to look at some dude naked. And a lot of these dudes, I'm just telling you, it, it, it ain't pretty sights. So <laughs> That's great. Um, so in terms of uh, how the NFL tests, you said they can test you up to 26 times a year. It's very random. They showed up on your vacation. Uh, and is that for performance enhancing drugs yes. or, uh, and also recreational or, or how do they distinguish between the two, if at all? I'm going to keep it real. If you get popped for recreational drugs in the NFL, you're a complete idiot. <laughs> um, they test once a year and it is in the first week of training camp and everybody knows it. And so, um, listen, it boggles my mind and and, and God bless the people that get popped because once you get in the program is what they call it. You're in the program. Then they can test you randomly. I want to say maybe 30 plus times a year. So if you get popped for smoking weed, um, the first time is not a suspension. It's basically a slap on the wrist, but you go into the program. So then they can test you whenever you want. The second time starts the suspensions. And then the third time, the suspension expands. And then the fourth time, it's a year, and then it becomes indefinite. And we, we've, we've seen the sad horror stories of guys you know, literally just you know, kissing away millions and millions of dollars because they, they can't put the marijuana down. And it's sad. And, and sometimes it's not just marijuana. Um, but yeah, so literally, it's one time a year, and everybody knows it coming in. Um, keep it clean. The first week of training camp, and then you'll get your test out of the way. And every year, I've got a saying that says, can't coach stupid. Um, listen, <laughs> if you uh, – again, I can't judge. I've never smoked, so I don't know what it does. I don't know how addictive it is, whether it is or it's not. But when you talk about potential million-dollar contracts and this, this dream that most of us have had since we were four or five years old, and you know for one week, one week every year, they're coming to get you, and, and you can't – you know, abide by the rules for one week. It, it, um, yeah. Can't coach stupid. That's, that's what I call that. I'm, uh, I'm curious why that policy exists. Like I can understand why you'd want to test or the league would want to test for performance enhancing drugs. Yeah. But as far as recreational drugs, um, to the extent that they're not really performance enhancing, you know, why does, why does the league even care? 
Well, the league cares about state laws, which obviously some of those are changing, and national laws as well. Um, I also think it's, it's always, listen, the NFL does uh, a great job of destroying their image on their own. Um, and I think they try to um, remove as many things that could black eye the league as possible. But obviously, um, obviously we're out here in California. Our laws are different. But the majority of the places across America, uh, marijuana is still illegal. Um, you know, uh, we have guys in the NFL that are 20 years old. So alcohol for some of these guys is, is illegal. Um, and so I've always applauded the NFL for most of their disciplinary um, measures, trying to hold the players to um, a standard that's higher than everyone else. Because I, I, do, I don't believe um, that it's a right to be in the NFL. I believe it's a privilege. Um, and I do believe that you should handle yourself in a way that represents um all of the players extremely well. I mean, how often do I walk into a restaurant and people are like, man, you're so nice. Well, they thought I was going to be a jerk only because of what the media has sold about the one dude that was a jerk or the guy that's cutting the line trying to get in the club because he thinks he's somebody because he can catch football better than other people. So um, I think the NFL has tried to create a, a higher level of standard um, across the board, um, but it really comes down to laws. And, and the, the league is, you know, um, I'm not in the inner circle in, in, anymore, but um, the league is starting to have these conversations about marijuana and, and, and where do they need to go? Um, are there things that can help their players with depression, pain management, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Um, um, we'll see where their policies bend towards. Um, but it's always been, I think all the policies have always been about trying to manage laws as well as stuff that's legal and illegal, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, speaking of legal drugs, though, so, you know, uh, obviously it's, it's well known that, um, you know, chewing tobacco is pretty popular in baseball and even hockey. Um, are you aware of uh, NFL players that uh, that use smokeless tobacco dip or anything like that. <laughs> I'm aware of the ones that would try to hide it from their wives on the because <laughs> yeah, it was probably about 2000. Oh gosh, 2007, 2008. They stopped allowing it on the sidelines. Really, and so other players, you know. Uh, Quarterbacks and kickers, you know, those are the ones that, that tend to, to have it in the backup quarterbacks and, and kickers because they're the ones that you know you could kind of spit it out, I guess, fast enough. If you're trying to chew that stuff and play fullback, you're gonna be in trouble. You're gonna be you're gonna be swallowing a lot of tobacco juice. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've got I've got some funny stories. I'm not gonna mention any names, man. But but one of my buddies got caught on live TV chewing. And when he got home, <laughs> his wife had changed the locks to the, to the house because they had these amazing, beautiful girls. And all the girls knew was that, man, daddy could get lip cancer and then that cancer could kill daddy. And so he had promised the family like, hey, I'm, I'm done. And he had a real he had a real stressful game. And doggone it, one of them like 32 NFL cameras caught him on the sidelines. Mama solid. Daughter solid. Family wasn't happy. We come home. My, myself phone starts buzzing hey man can i uh can i crash on your couch <laughs> uh no go be down the door you you, you punk you, you, no i'm just kidding i let him in but uh yeah so that that's the the new rule and I, again it's, it's probably been it might have been 10 years ago they put that in place where you can't have it on the sideline anymore but yeah a lot of guys uh do the different stuff heck a lot of the guys still smoke guys guys get away with a lot of stuff that probably isn't best for their bodies especially as an elite athlete but you guys know the routine H human nature is 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 human nature everyone has their vices yeah mine's donuts which you know yeah. what i say <laughs> that's why i work out so hard i, I gotta burn them suckers off fair enough 
Um, what about, uh, so they only test, you know, once a year rec- for recreational drugs. What would happen if um, a player were to be photographed or post on their social media presence smoking something that appeared like a blunt? How would the league yeah. respond to that? It gets a little hairy. I mean, we've seen that happen to, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. We've seen it happen to other guys. Um, I'm not sure of the new league rules. Um, when I was in there, like, you had to you had to fail a drug test. And the Players Association, um, choose my words carefully, they do a great job of trying to defend the players' rights. I also feel like they defend players that shouldn't be defended and they stand up for players that that just need to go suffer their punishment and move on because they've embarrassed all of us players or former players um but those new league rules i can't speak to in the sense of um if that automatically puts you in the program if you're seen on ig smoking something up that you shouldn't be and yet you haven't failed a test does that automatically put you in the program or not um i would see the the players association fighting that very very hard uh if the nfl tried to do that that makes sense. And what about substances like uh, Adderall that are ostensibly prescribed to people for a condition? Yeah. Are those uh, allowed or, or not allowed in the league? How does that work? Allowed with the proper paperwork. So I, I had my paperwork uh, when I was 15, um, when when really a lot of the learning disabilities were just starting to kind of come to, to surface level where we had doctors that, that knew how to kind of test a kid to see um, exactly where his struggles were, what is, you know, ADD, what is ADHD, et cetera, et cetera. So throughout high school and college, I was on Ritalin. And then when I got drafted, um, obviously doing the doctors doing their due diligence, um, they they ask for all my paperwork. So they had all the medical paperwork that said, hey, Heath can take Ritalin, Heath can take Adderall. Um, but it's our job as a player, even if the team physician, you know, in our physical skipped over that portion of the paperwork, um, and I tested positive for Adderall, even though I had the paperwork, still falls on me. And so the harsh, harsh part is, is Adderall falls under the performance enhancing side of, of drugs instead of the recreational. So we saw guys, it's probably been five or six years ago now, maybe four or five, um, some of the Seattle Seahawks players, but Adderall became more of that drug um, that people were popping for. Um, and then even um, you know your NyQuil or your DayQuil, stuff that has uh, Sudafed in it, if you take that stuff, you have to report to your team trainer because the um, the testing is, is so thorough and, and, and honestly so difficult to, to pass unless you are really clean. Um, that will all pick up. Um, Sudafed, you'll fail the test, and that's performance enhancing. And so any type of those stimulants um, that would be maybe considered fat burners, et cetera, um, yeah, man, that's a, that's a four-game suspension off the pop. Um just for taking some cough medicine that you didn't report to the team physician. Gotcha. Yeah, that that makes sense. That's uh, it's complicated because yeah, stimulants definitely have the potential to provide benefit. And then when it comes to alcohol, that I imagine just falls under recreational. So as long as you're not drunk in training camp, you're probably fine. <laughs> I've seen a few of them. <laughs> uh, I've seen a lot, I've seen a lot of nonsense, especially in my early years in Seattle. But um, yeah, I think the alcohol testing comes in uh, after there's been a DUI. The league is always trying to follow up on on what could be um, issues for the player as well as the team, as well as ultimately the shield. And so um, if a player is having an alcohol issue, um, then they will establish protocol for that particular player, uh, ultimately to help that player. 
DUIs though, that, that NFL player conduct code um, that we're all under, um, owners, coaches alike, um, can be can be very strict. And so those DUIs um, ultimately come down to whatever Roger Goodell is feeling on that day based on his whole understanding of your your total situation. Uh, was it just a one-time DUI or was this a first-time DUI but you're already in you know the uh, program for recreational drugs? What's the full scenario of that player? Um, and the NFL Players Association as well as the players back in 2011 surrendered a lot of power to Roger Goodell, which has created a lot of issues in the disciplinary action that he, that he takes at times. Got it. And what is um, the kind of stance on um getting out of the drug program yeah if, if at all um there is there is a time there is a window and there is um i i think it's i think it's over a year um and, and it might be significantly over a year again i'm not um completely sure but i do know that if you've stayed clean long enough you do kind of you get a fresh start um, and, and I know players that have gotten that, um, and then I know players that have gotten the fresh start and then ended right back up in in the uh, the so-called club. Um, so um, again, I, for the most part, listen. There's a lot of things that I'd want to rip the league the league apart on. Um, in a fair disciplinary action and really trying to help players mature and, and, and grow up and be successful in every walk of life, even financially, emotionally, in their marriages and stuff, they do a really good job of trying to put programming around players um, to help them grow. I mean, most of these guys, 21, 22 years old, handed some type of significant paycheck for the first time ever. Um, a lot of responsibility and, and a lot of crap comes with that type of platform. And so um, th- that's that's one area that I would probably praise the league in, in the sense of, yeah, that they've got some tough policies, but man, they will bend over backwards through counseling and every other way to try to help some of these players really tackle some of the emotional issues that might be driving some of the drug and alcohol issues, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes yeah. perfect sense. Yep. And what about the coaches or the uh, assistant coaches? Yeah. Do they uh, get tested? Um, you know what? It's a great question. Um, I'm assuming as league employees, I would say yes, but I can't answer that as a matter of fact, yes. Um, I do know that there have been coaches that have been put on disciplinary action for DUIs as well. I know the code of conduct applies to everyone that is any type of employee, whether that is the secretary for an owner um, or an assistant. As it, uh, I don't know if we call people secretaries these days. It's, people get offended by everything. But anyway, anybody that has some type of um, position in the NFL is supposed to be under this code of conduct um, and it's honestly supposed to work that the players are here and then the code of conduct for the people in the front office and coaches are is a little even higher and more strict and then owners are even more strict. Um, I can tell you it normally doesn't work that way. <laughs> it normally the players are crucified and the body bags get buried for the owners, etc. Sure, that, that makes sense because I was just thinking, you know, if I were a strength coach for the NFL and I was responsible for leading uh, a team of all of these sort of genetic freaks that I might be tempted to use anabolic anabolic steroids, for instance, so that I can lift with these players and at least keep pace in a way that wouldn't be embarrassing. 
What what's sad is is when I first came into the league, that argument would make sense. Now all our strength coaches, they're stronger. Half of them are faster than the players. Players have gotten so soft and but like it just it don't even get me started down that path. But like these these strength coaches now have a hard time getting these players to work out the way they should. You know, everyone wants to be fast. No, nobody wants to lift the heavy weights anymore. You look at the dominant teams at the end of every year, they're always like the stronger, nasty, gnarly teams that they kind of push um, into those playoff spaces. Um, but yeah, listen, I think those, um, I don't know if it would come from those coaches, but a lot of those coaches have come from an old school background, um, where, you know, steroids were used and, and, and maybe they were actually acceptable, you know, back in the eighties and nineties and people weren't the, the science of, of the extreme use of, of anabolics, um, wasn't what we know it to be today. Um, but I, I would, from the strength coaches that I've been around, they have such a tough job because if you're not with the right head coach and you push a player too hard and he gets hurt, they're going to fire the strength coach because you got one of your star players hurt. But then if the star player's not ready to go and he tweaks a hammy in the game, well, then that, that gets put back on the strength coach too because, oh, he wasn't in physically good enough shape or his hips weren't stabilized or blah, 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 blah. Strength coaches have it tough this day and age. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't – I don't know any – now foolish enough to to try to push that avenue because again listen we always know the chemist are ahead of of the testers um but boy man like when you i guess when you got to be constantly on your game 24 7 and you know someone can bang on your door at 6 a.m in the morning and have you drop your drawers and pee in a cup you you better be really really good at what you're doing yeah that brings up an interesting point because uh, i always think about this uh this study where they looked at um, different military training programs and they found that um, the more uh, injuries and, and even deaths that occur in training for a given program, the fewer um, injuries and, and, and deaths that happen Absolutely. in combat. So it kind of advocates for pushing players a lot harder in the weight room and, and in training camp versus, you know, potentially allowing them to get soft and get injured in an actual game. Yeah. Old school versus new school. Um, my workout partner and I, Michael Hearn, we, we, we firmly believe in train smarter, but we believe in train smarter so you can train that much harder. So if we can find, you know, okay, hey, it's this carb and this fat and this protein balance with X amount of sleep and we train at 4 a.m. instead of 6 a.m. So testosterone and IGF-1 are up here. Ah, this is the perfect balance. So we've taken all the science and everything that this day and age gives us with research and data and studies just like you, you just referenced. And then now we can train even crazy harder because we're smarter with it. And you know what? I'm going to hold my donuts until Saturday. And then I'm going to help usher these carbs in this way. All that stuff comes in. But what's happened is, is like now everybody wants to take the rubber bands and rest days and all this nonsense. And let's go get in a pool and flap around and train with weightless training and all this bull crap. And you wonder why these players can't stay healthy. You know, myself, you got Ray Lewis. Is all these guys that we all kind of train the same way. We're never hurt. Ever hurt. And we abused our body and our training February through June. And then, yeah, we'd temper off going into July and let it kind of heal up, knowing what was coming in training camp. Um, but that that methodology, um, you know, I think it was Jack Nicholson, like, you need us on that wall. Like, I don't even remember the message of the movie, but like that old school mentality of like, we're going to do it this way. It works the Bill Belichick way. Raised by his dad, military background. 
if you ain't disciplined, you won't be there. If you're not selfless, you won't be there. If you can't play through pain, you won't be there. If you can't put the team first, you won't be there. If you don't do what you're told to do right away when you're told to do it, you won't be there. And and he disciplines their mindsets, still runs very harsh practices at times, and then, yeah, he'll back them off and rest and recover the team. But that old school mentality is the best school, and everyone's trying to find a way to escape it. And we look around um, – and it's, uh, I keep telling my two daughters, I'm like, just trust the process. You girls are going to rule this world because you're growing up in a generation where people don't know how to do hard things. They don't know how to tell themselves no. They don't know how to tell themselves you must do this. They don't know how to get themselves up and discipline themselves to do things they don't feel like doing. And uh, my, my home, I'm no Marine, but I was raised by one and, and I'm raising two monster little girls in that old school mentality um, so that they can, they can dominate life, whatever it is, dominate their marriages, dominate business, dominate school. Um, and, and that's, it's yeah. Well, you got me going, buddy. No, no, no. We, no, we got to get back to drugs. Well, so, well, so, so this is a potentially a, a, a nice dovetail. So we can talk about um, maybe how your experience when you got out of the NFL uh, involved uh, using uh, certain compounds to help with the healing of certain injuries, yeah. and then also your experience uh, looking at uh, and, and talking to bodybuilders and powerlifters at Gold's Gym. So you know, you mentioned hard work. But Heath, can't I just take steroids and not work hard? <laughs> yeah, and, and your your pecs are going to start looking like girls' pecs. Um, <laughs> but listen, everything comes down to hard work, and there's always ways to cheat the system. Um, and in certain worlds, they're they're widely accepted, you know. And so um, I know for me, I was blessed to have like my, my I'm not Catholic, but I call him my goddad because he was just kind of like my second family at Auburn, where I went to school. I met him, and he was a heart surgeon. And so they the FDA had started doing. Um, testing and all these studies on bioidentical HGH on obese heart patients that before you could never put them on the table. They couldn't have heart transplants. They they couldn't even have certain types of heart surgeries because they would literally die on the table. Um, Well, luckily for me, you know, my goddad was a part of all these studies. And so he got to see all the positive effects of not not the the crap IGF one or, or the 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 crap HGH that you can buy on the internet, but the bioidentical IGF one that your body makes. So there's no foreign substance going into your body. So four months post um, retirement, I was um, about a year plus off of major ACL, full knee reconstruction, had major meniscus damage, um, and so he starts me on low levels of of IGF one and this knee. I mean, literally in the first seven weeks, de-inflamed in a way that I hadn't seen it since before I had torn it up. Um, your sleeping patterns, um, you know, and I was on what, what it's, it's a unit and a half a day, which most doctors are like, oh, that's not even enough to do anything. For me, it did everything for me. And my shoulders don't hurt. My neck doesn't hurt anymore. I get to coach the girls' basketball team. I can jump on the trampoline with them. I can still go in Gold's Gym and throw around most weight with pretty much anybody in there. Um and there's nothing anabolic in my system. It's something that is modern medicine that has been used really to attack what would have been a degenerative issue in my knee and kept it stable and functioning. So now at 40, I can live a happy, healthy life um, where the NFL still poo-poos on you know, HGH because they're uneducated. and They've allowed the world to take HGH and mix it with anabolic steroids. One's anabolic, one's not. One's foreign, 
one's not. So when I put in every night before I go to bed, before I do that little insulin injection in my belly fat, um, my body's saying, oh, I know exactly what this is. This is IGF-1. I'm going to transfer it. It's going to be human growth hormone. Heath's going to sleep better. I'm going to de-inflame his knee. I'm going to help him recover healthy, functioning, 40-year-old adult. You know, an anabolic steroid you put in your system, your body goes like, what the heck is that? And then it recognizes through the receptors really, really quick that this is a testosterone substitute, shuts down your natural testosterone production, and then it's going to thrive off of this anabolic that you're putting in there. A lot of science will say that, hey, there's a healthy window of time to do that stuff. I'm no scientist in that area, but I can speak very, very clearly about the benefits of HGH and low-level testosterone injections that help me live a healthy, functioning life um, that I don't, I haven't reaped the benefits of banging heads in the NFL at the fullback position for 10 years. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's an interesting point because everyone always thinks about um, uh, anabolics and HGH as um, something that is performance enhancing, you know, strictly to get, to let you get an edge, a performance edge over your competitors. And um, very few people think of it as something that could actually help you um, you know, even prevent injuries or heal from existing injuries. And I wonder if, if, um, you know, if it was the case that, you know, that became more widely known that the league might start embracing them because obviously, you know, injuries and, and especially chronic injuries, um, is a huge problem for NFL players. Yeah. Um, I've said it more than once to some very powerful people in the NFL. They think that concussion lawsuit was bad. Um, the one coming down the pipe for restricting players from taking the bioidentical HGH to heal, whether it be from concussions or knees, shoulders, degenerative neck, spinal issues, because they are literally restricting something that is a legal drug. So it's not like, hey, you can't smoke marijuana in um, Massachusetts because it's still illegal in the state of Massachusetts. But if you're in California and you're a Rams and you can smoke it there. Now, the league's not doing that. They've made it carte blanche across our policies. But HGH now, through administered through a doctor who does my blood work every single quarter, um, that's legal. And they are restricting it from players that have had massive neck injuries, massive knee injuries, thumb injury, all these different things that we have a decade plus of data now that says, man, this is going to help these players heal. And it is safe. Now, we're not talking about what I'll call, you know, in quotes, bodybuilding loads of, of HGH where you're taking five, six, seven units a day that, um, from my understanding, can be very unhealthy. You know, um, I've, I am now eight years removed. My forehead hasn't grown. My, my wrist haven't grown. My ankles haven't grown. I look like the same dude that retired eight years ago. Um, now again, I'm on healthy levels. I monitor it. Um, we stay up on every aspect of, of liver functionality, kidney functionality, everything. And so I was blessed cause I never drank or smoked. So my liver and kidney look great. So nothing, my, my levels, people are like, you played in the NFL for 10 years. I'm like, yeah, well, when, when you eat clean and you're not killing yourself with other stuff off the field, the damage on the field really isn't all that damaging when you sleep and rest and work out and massage and sauna and all the other things that I always did. The body, our bodies, we're freaks of nature. We'll recover from anything if we're given what we need to recover to to heal and, and to, to rest and for to everything to kind of regenerate the way that I believe God made us to. Yeah, I mean, the league hires guys to go out to St. Martin and, and do blood draws and stuff, why wouldn't they hire a doctor to, you know, responsibly administer these things when they can help players heal or, or prevent injuries? Um, I wish I knew. 
I wish I knew. Yeah. And the truth is, I had guys call me when I blew my knee out. I had multiple guys call me, um, and guys that I would never judge. And now, in full transparency, when, when I blew my knee out, they're like, hey, here's a doctor, call them. They'll get you on this stuff. You're going to heal up twice as fast. And I, I just, listen, I, I'm no moral angel, I promise you that. I just, I still kind of felt like it was cheating the system, you know? Um, but knowing what I know now, that like when I'm not dieting, HGH doesn't rip me up. You know what I mean? Now, maybe if I took eight units a day, maybe it would. But what I take, um, I sleep better. My knee doesn't hurt. These AC joints, the, the, the fluid and the stuff gets stuck in them. It's not there when I'm on it. My neck, you know, I, I don't start going numb all the time, you know, just from burners and stuff that I had when I was playing. And that's the only difference, you know. And so um, we'll, we'll see. But it's um, – they're the NFL, you, know, you got a fourteen and a half billion dollar industry a year. Why not go out and educate the world on? Hey, we're going to keep our players healthy. We really love our players. We're going to invest in them. And yeah, this might be edgy, and you guys might not understand it. You might think it's anabolic. It ain't. We would never put our players on something dangerous, but but we're going to try to help them. Why they won't bridge that gap and be educators? Heck, why would they won't bridge the gap and just stand up and do anything that's morally correct? I I I don't know. We can we can get to that another day. That that all makes sense. I guess. I would, uh, I wonder, so this is something that you take daily. Yeah. You've taken daily for a while. It sounds like you plan to take it potentially for the rest of your life. As long as I can afford it. Absolutely. So do you worry about long-term effects? Because potentially, you know, there could be, you know, I, I feel good when I have a drink of alcohol, but I know if I have too much alcohol for too long, it's going to be bad for me. Right. What if this is something similar? Well, um, Initially, years back, it was like, oh, you, you're every every cell in your body, every free radical, every cancer cell, you're causing to grow because as you heal healthy cells, then you know sick cells are, are expanding as well. Um, from my understanding of the research and the doctors that I'm involved with, including my goddad, um, that's a false. And so, um, again, we'll, we'll never know. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, life expectancy of the NFL players 20 years ago was like mid 50s. You know, I think with modern medicine now, um, obviously that that's just not the case. Um, and I, there's always, like I said, every quarter I go get this blood drawn and they can see everything from prostate markers to how I'm sleeping at night, you know, to stress hormones. And literally my doc will be like, everything okay at the house? Well, you know, a year, year or so ago when all that crap went down with the NFL, man, my stress markers were off the charts in my blood work. Well, we regulated those things with the different things. I, I was sleeping a little bit better. And then, and then, you know what, everything balances out. So, um, getting your blood work done, the physicals that I do, um, I'm assuming that if there is anything negative, I'll see the negative markers way before someone else would, because I'm just up to date on it, you know, literally four times a year. Gotcha. Yeah, that that makes sense. And I think another thing that you could think about is is also there are people that use all kinds of substances that are bad for them long term or people that don't diet properly. And a lot of things uh, for better or worse are luck. You know, we know people that are obviously we're extremely anti smoker or anti smoking, but we hear all the time about people who have pack a day smokers, their grandfather lived to be 98. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, well, you know, you just maybe sometimes you have lucky genes. Yeah, absolutely. And just even the the way that your, your body responds to something like my body's ability to take in large amount of sugars, like someone else would be a diabetic 50 times over (laughs) by now, you know, 
um, it, it just doesn't it doesn't hit me that way. But even in the dieting process where I diet down um, and then we're getting ready for a fitness shoot or a photo shoot, a lot of bodybuilders, my workout partner, he would call fill out, which means like when you restrict the carbs and the water and then you go for these shoots and you want to look pumped up, then you put some sugar back in the system. Like he'll, he'll eat raisins. My body will chew up a raisin by and spit. Like it, it, it has no insulin response whatsoever to raisin. Now give me a Mountain Dew, <laughs> uh, a, a Jersey Mike's number eight and a donut and I will look as jacked. My body will take those type of carbs and I'll literally look 15 pounds bigger in 10 minutes just because my body, everything from the blood, the way it just it, it responds to those carbohydrates, every body is different. Every athlete is different. And so I think that kind of goes back to also your point too of why do they try to mandate it across the league? I think because they're trying to protect people from themselves in some ways. I mean, you know, the, the guy that has the one bad trip, first time he ever does drugs, and it's like the, the, the nightmare scenario, you know? Other guy, for 30 years, can hit that same drug over and over and over again and just kind of have the same normal reactive response. And so um, it, it is it, – there's no answers for all of it. But, um, you know, I, th- I think for me, um, it's, it's – there's enough research and data out there for me to feel comfortable with the things that I do – with my body. And then I, I get to live them out and see, and I've always just been open to talk about them, which um, I don't know why people wouldn't be. Yeah. So it, it sounds also like a really smart friend of ours once told us biology is all about concentrations. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like for the most part, there is a relationship between potentially the negative long-term effects of almost any drug on the body and the concentration that you take them in, right? Taking what you said a unit and a half is quite different from taking eight units and the long-term effects will be more pronounced uh, one way or the other. So let's talk about uh, Gold's Gym and uh, some power lifters and and bodybuilders (laughs) and kind of what you see. The freak show that is uh, the Mecca. Yeah. So how, you know, how do you, how do you, how does that strike you when you're in Gold's Gym and you see the variation between people that are probably natural and people that are the most unnatural that you could possibly be. What's funny is, is like the people, like if we were to reel off like superstars names in in the, in the fitness space, those are the people that you'd never know if they were honored or not, because they're so consistent with their lifestyle, their diet, their workout, their sleep, absolutely everything, their bodies, like they're like, they're like minuscule changes you know you watch them for the whole year and they work on a weakness and they tweak it but you'd only know it if you were someone like me that's like oh how's he going to change his shoulder or how is he going to he had a knee injury so how is he going to attack that quad to come back it's the average joes that are probably working some nine to five that are putting all this foreign crap in their system coming in there one day a buck 80 coming there six weeks later just acne everywhere who oh god knows what they're putting in their system half of it's trash and they're 240 bloated out of their mind and then two weeks later they pop an achilles or they pop a quad tendon something that should never happen in in a million years lifting weights other than you got a whole bunch of foreign anabolic nonsense in your body that it, your body just doesn't know how to respond to. You're probably not taking care of your soft tissue. You're not staying hydrated enough. You're not eating. You're not sleeping. You're not doing all the things that really make our bodies perform and grow. Those are the guys that strike me. And I'm always like, why? 
Like, like what are we, what are we chasing? You know? And then you're buying stuff that, um, I'm like the biggest skeptic in the world, man. Like if I don't have a doctor like showing me, so like, I'm just, I just can't do it. You know, I'd be the one, the one guy that would have the bad trip if I ever messed with something, you know, <laughs> but, uh, I, I just want to see data. And then if we can back it up, like all, like I'm, I'm very open-minded to things. I just, I just, I need, I need it to be kind of proved out to me if that makes sense. Yeah. That does. And so it sounds like they're, if we're going to talk about the wrong way to sell drugs, quote unquote, and the right way to sell drugs, it sounds like the right way in this instance is under uh, the guidance of a doctor, essentially a doctor is selling you drugs and you can monitor, uh, you do responsible amounts, you monitor your blood work. The wrong way seems to be what some of these Gold's Gym people do. And how do they how do they go about that? Do they buy that on the internet, or are these people in the gyms dealing? Do you, do you know? Well, with the power of Google this day and age, you can find anything on the internet. Um, I, I, it, it's funny. Like I have so many different friends that will get on WebMD, like when they have a cough or a tickle in their throat, <laughs> and I'm like, would you please stop? Like by the, by the end of your research, you're going to have cancer and you're going to be dead in three years. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I think that's honestly what most of these guys do when it comes to trying to figure out what's going to work for me or what are my goals and, oh, I want to put on X amount of weight. Um, so I, I don't know. You know, I was lucky to have a goddad who was a heart surgeon that introduced me to this whole world of of healthy nutrition and healthy um, aid when it comes to, you know, hormone replacement. Um you know, I don't know who's the local crack dealer in is in in, in the mecca. I'm sure they exist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but also listen, it, it's it's illegal. Right. You know, and so and I know there's all these laws that you know. Well, we don't we don't mess with these, and we don't even you know we don't even arrest for these. And so I'm assuming in that world, you could probably track it down very very quickly. It's just the circle of of people um, that I travel in um, do it the right way. And, and they're they're seeing doctors and they're up on their blood work and, and they're trying to live a lifestyle that we freely would say, hey, come follow us. Do it our way. Don't take the shortcut way. I mean, my buddy Michael Hearn, people will bust his chops all they want, but Mike just turned 50. He is stronger than me in every lift. He's never been hurt. And people, they, they, they destroy him all the time. You're not natty. You're not this. Find me one person that's been on any type of anabolic steroid that's never had some type of soft tissue or potential, um, not potential, but some type of significant injury lifting. Because what happens is that the the body really isn't meant to have that type of tension and stress on the connective tissues that these anabolics create. And so most dominant bodybuilders, you watch them, they're not training very heavy. They're literally just kind of pumping blood into the muscle. Because if you put too much stress and tension on those joints, they will pop. And that's why you see these power lifters that are lifting extreme amount of weights once a year, once every couple of years, you know, a pec's going to pop, a quad's going to pop, a bicep, something that they're in getting a surgery for and then having to get it repaired and replaced. Mike's 50 years old. The, the Joker's the strongest guy, hands down, in Gold's Gym still to this day, whether you're a power lifter or a bodybuilder. He, he can walk around at, you know, five, 6% legitimate body fat, still bench press 550 pounds, squat 750, do whatever you want him to do, compete at any time. Um, and so those are the type of guys I want to be around. And his idea of a freaking cheat meal, I hate him because it's like strawberries and grapes. <laughs> well, he's made his living in this space for, for 35 plus years. At 14 years old, he stepped on the stage for the first time and looked like he was 20. Well, God just made his genes a little different than mine, you know? And so, um, one of the hardest workers I've ever been around, um, 
he's he's the Tom Brady, the Drew Brees of 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 bodybuilding and fitness. They they turn over every rock trying to find an answer for everything, and they're willing to sacrifice anything for their greatness in that space. And um, those are the I mean, listen, those are the type of guys that, that I that I want to be around because they they'll outwork anybody, and uh, they, they they never shy away from competition, which is uh, my, my type of guy. <laughs> Yeah, that yeah, Mike O'Hearn is certainly a specimen. I uh, encourage people to look him up on Instagram if you don't know who we're talking about. Because I hate his guts. Yeah, <laughs> fifty years old, he he definitely looks better than probably most people ever have. And uh, do you and, and Mike think it's possible to uh, grow your calves? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Mike and I. The answer is yes. Yeah. Um, okay. But it's funny because Mike's like, I don't train calves. Now, he has, like, if Mike had a weakness, it'd probably be his calves. Now, his calves ain't no weakness. I mean, they're still just rocked up. It's just his freaking thighs and then his back. Like, he's he just this Greek god. And so, um, but yeah, and, and there's a lot of different science behind volume training. But again, what are your receptors, your muscle receptors? How do they respond versus how do they respond for me? For me, I always, my thing was point A to point B as fast as I possibly can. And so I, I always had a natural inclination to being very fast and explosive. So I never trained them because I didn't want to tighten them up. I didn't want anything to affect what I already had. So I would work on the glutes and the quads to be faster and stronger. Um, but yeah, I mean, we see guys all the time um, with the good trainers, you know, they'll, they'll spend four to six weeks watching you, you know, they'll have you do sets of 50, 60 reps. Sometimes they might warm you up a different way and then put you into the meat of the workout a different way. But everybody, if you are willing to eat and if you are willing to rest, um, and suffer through the pain of the discomfort of, of weightlifting, um, you can grow any muscle. You know, my arms are stubborn because I never trained them for the first 35 years of my life, 36 years of my life before I met Mike. You know, well, they've now, in the first year or two that I met him, didn't. But guess what? In the last six months, they've started to respond. It's like you, you turn on different things and you find out what works. Everybody is the same, you know, and it's it just most people tap out. Um, during the painful process before the performance process actually kicks in. Got it. Yeah. And we're going to have to get some uh, trap training trips, uh, tips offline because <laughs> you said you said your neck hurts. And I was looking, I was like, what neck? <laughs> hey, listen, that, that's a full, I always say, like, what do you do to train your traps? I'm like, nothing. Like uh, Mike, <laughs> like, uh, Mike lets me do nothing because he's trying to get my traps to die down so my shoulders and everything else can come in. Listen, just go run your head into a wall, you know, 50 times a day. Because that's basically what I did for for a decade plus. And, and man, your, your body... Um, your body will will move and react to anything. Like it will, it whatever you put it through. Um, especially if you're feeding it and resting it well. I'm 40. Mike's convinced me of things that, that I, I was I was the the pessimist that no, you just you can't do that naturally. You need this. No, he's proven me wrong. But you got to be willing to pay the price, you know. And for me, like we mentioned the 4 a.m. workouts. So you think about a 40 year old guy, you know. Um, when I wake up in the morning, say my testosterone at 4 a.m. is, is 5.55. If I train at 4, then I have all that good juice to, to work with. But if I wait till 6, what's it? Maybe, maybe it's at you know, 4.90. Mm -hmm. What if I wait till 4 in the afternoon? Mm. All my healthy levels, at like the way the God made our bodies, is you know, 3 or 4, depending on that sleep cycle, everything just gets released. And that's like my, my highest moment is probably around 4 a.m. 
And so just even the science behind why Mike trains at the time he does, um, we'll get in a nap in later in the day that kind of helps spike a little bit more of healthy hormone um, production and, and release. Um, but the science is the science. I mean, we are we start off fresh and then we fatigue throughout the day, start out fresh. And so do we want to train when we're already three-fourths in the tank fatigued or do we want to train when our body has everything to help us recover with that's the best time in the morning to train for probably any man over 35 years old interesting i also think that if you wake up at four in the morning you probably uh, avoid a lot of distractions like invitations out to dinner and uh, drinks by your couch because so. you can only go so many days in a row on three or four hours of sleep so yeah the lifestyle does change you know and, and mike and that's where you know kudos to him again because you know i've got two daughters he's getting ready to have his first child so there's going to be some things when when the little one gets here that will have to change for him um but there's always a, a way to find out um what you want. And by that, I mean like people, oh, I want this, I want that. Nah, you don't want it. Mm -hmm. I want this, I want this. You guys are crazy awesome businessmen. The grind sessions of hours that you guys have put in to get to where you're at, few people will understand. A lot of people want it, but don't want it one bit. You know, And so it's the same thing with, if you have a fitness goal, A, find someone who looks the part, who has done it consistently for a long, long time. Don't just find some dude with a good body. Because good, good bodies are a dime a dozen period, male and female. Find someone who's done it for a long, long time um, that, that's willing to, to teach you and show you how to do it because that, that's the value. Yeah. yeah. We talked a lot about kind of substances that people use. What about uh, substances that, that you uh, would avoid? You know, do you have a drink or two at night um, or is that something you completely cut out? Yeah. Um, for an athlete, and I tell all my athletes this, um, wine is, wine is different than your hard alcohol, but Belichick used to do the, the best thing every year. He would, he'd kind of show us all these blood studies of what literally what one, one drink, like one shot of hard alcohol does to your muscle tissue, what three does and what five does. And then you consider the average player on a Friday night is kind of like the night you get done with Friday practice, the haze in the barn of kind of like the game planning. A lot of guys would go out, kind of chill out on Friday night, go out to dinner, have drinks, maybe stay out till about one o'clock knowing that Saturday come in at eight, but then you were done with practice at about 1130 and you could go home and nap on Saturday and kind of start prepping, you know, rest wise, you know, for the game. Well, he, he would show us like how far we get behind the eight ball. If, if you have one hard drink, three hard drinks, et cetera. And so just from a dehydration mechanism, like even if your hydration was on point and you know, you and I both had a gallon and a half of water that day, which was perfect for our body and the stress that it's been under. Um, but I had no, no drinks and I was in bed X amount of hours before you and you had three. You know, he would get these percentages that he would back up. And so just for the sake of this podcast, it was roughly probably 17, 18% ahead of the recovery process that I was. So he's like, when you start stacking these blocks on top of each other, I make a wise decision week one, another wise decision week two. And you're making a party decision week one on Friday, a party decision. By the time, why do the Patriots always dominate in December? Why do they always hit their peak when it matters in the playoff time? Nobody it's, wants to go out in that weather. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of it. That is definitely part of it. It gets cold and gnarly, but but Green Bay has that same weather. There's a lot of, you know, but it's, he has so um, ingrained them in his way of thinking that, listen, it's money in the bank. I can, if I go win a Super Bowl, I can party February, March, April, May. 
and then we'll really have a party because I have this big fat ring on my finger that no one else has. But I can go party on Friday night. But then guess what, Heath? You're just average. You know what? Maybe average is good enough to get you in the league. It ain't good enough to keep you here. So he starts indoctrinating you with this mindset of like, I'm not just a player. I'm not just a champion. I'm a king. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act like a king. I'm going to start making all these decisions that like, oh, okay. Well, for me, it was Teddy Bruschi and Vrabel and, and, and all these other studs that were there. And so like, I can't let them down. And so it becomes much more of like a family team first mentality that helps guys make wise decisions. My dad told me, he's like, Heath, you're an idiot. Um, every dumb decision I ever had or ever made including having you had alcohol involved in it. <laughs> He's like, you're dumber than I am. I suggest you just stay away from it. And it, it kind of just stuck. But really what my dad told me was like, he's like, hey, listen, I, if you want to drink, that's cool. But here in high school, watch your boys. And when they start drinking, watch the stuff that kind of follows them, that some of the consequences of their actions, whatever. And then if, if you want those things, then, 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 then drink. You know, just all, do it wisely, but whatever. But that was his message to me. But he just made me kind of like listen and learn instead of live and learn, if that makes sense. And so I just, I never, I was so paranoid that someone was going to take my job or someone was going to have my NFL contract or I wasn't going to be good enough to make it. I wasn't smoking or drinking for really moral issues at the time. I just, I was, I was that, I was like, no one's going to outwork me. I've got a dream. I've got it. And I can't, I can't get anything that's going to have a setback for me, you know? And so um, maybe my vice was just performance, you know, like, I, I don't, I don't know, but uh, those things always kept me from kind of wading in waters that, 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 you know, I had no business wading in, but performance, alcohol, super, super dangerous. You know, it just um, pulled muscles. Um, the effects that it has on the, um, the water in our brain, for concussion prevention as well as concussion recovery, the trickle-down effect of elite athletes in contact sports drinking alcohol is huge. Uh, from what I know of marijuana and alcohol, I would much rather the NFL say, hey, we're not going to allow you guys to drink. We'll allow you to smoke. Now, that's what I know because I don't There's I don't know. I haven't been able to really dive in. The science with marijuana seems to be very multiple sided. It seems like everybody has agenda with the science. They're all trying to prove something that, that seems contradictory to me in some ways. And so, um, but I know the effects of alcohol and I know what it does to the brain. And it's, it's very, very dangerous for our contact sport athletes. Got it. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I, I think, uh, I think we've run through, uh, the majority of our, our questions here. Sammy, do you have any parting yeah, no, this has been great. I think the, you know, the takeaway message that, uh, that I got was just the idea that, you know, most people think that, um, a lot of drugs and just a lot of chemicals that we use, um, are kind of a magic bullet when in reality, um, you know, they're a tool that you can use in some cases responsibly, but the real benefit comes from, you know, the discipline and the hard work. And I have yet to see an example of someone who, you know, has just been able to use a drug as a shortcut to, you know, to get around all of that. Not a chance. The elite of the elite in any sports. You know what I mean? I've always said, even like the the crap Mark McGuire went through. You know what I mean? Like, at the end of the day, steroids, I promise you, it's not going to help your eye-hand coordination. It's not. You know, now, was he wrong for taking the stuff he took? Sure. We're all been wrong for doing something. So if you want to throw stones, then throw stones and be a judgmental jerk. For me, it might never have been steroids, but have I lied? Yeah. So he lied. I lied. It's a lie. You know, uh, my deal is just hard work works. You guys prove that. You guys are somewhat the American dream. You have your degree. You don't, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but but like, there, there's not much that we can't set our heart and mind and actions to do that we can't accomplish. 
you know, and that's the same thing with athletics. You can cheat the system. Eventually, that those those hardcore antibiotics are going to cheat you because you the muscle tissue just isn't going to be good enough to keep up. You're going to have injuries. You're going to have long, long-term injuries that um, damage your career in the long run when you could just do it the, the slow, methodical, proper way. Um, hopefully one day the NFL will allow these guys to have a little bit more of the, the HGH um, doctor prescribed to help them heal from stuff they need to heal from, though, for sure. Heath Evans, everybody. Thanks so much. Man, thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today on another episode of How to Sell Drugs, presented by Lucy.co. We're a podcast about drug culture, policy, and business with an emphasis on harm reduction. We hope that you learned something today, or at the very least, were entertained. And we'll be back very soon with our next episode. Thank you.